0: Welcome to the Beautiful Life Podcast. And today is a thing that in the Greek culture, which is 50% of my culture, maybe more, uh, is my name day. You know what that means? It's like almost more important than your birthday in Greek, in the the Greek uh, culture. So wish me Happy Name Day. Happy Name Day. Thank you, thank you. It basically is the um, the birthday of the saint who I'm named after. And in my case, I'm named after a good guy who became a very bad guy. <laughs> so I don't want to follow his example. Um, but it was a guy called Constantine, who you probably are aware, became the emperor of Rome. He was the first emperor to convert uh, to the faith. Uh, through a quite miraculous intervention, the Lord uh, revealed the cross to him. And it was a very big day and it was before a battle that they were facing. And, uh, and, the, and the words that were with the cross said, by this sign you will conquer. And um, Anyway, but he did the wrong thing with it, which was he just declared, he decreed the Roman Empire of, thereafter to be forever Christian. And every Roman citizen was a Christian by birth. And of course that killed evangelism, church planting, reality uh, of of knowing Jesus uh, for everybody. And the Greek church is still suffering from that. Well, the world church is still suffering from that, isn't it? Greek church in particular. Anyway, I, I grew up in an era when, and I thought of doing it this morning just for... Illustration purposes I, I grew up in an era or I came to faith in an era when people used to dress up for church. Anybody? Some of you are old enough to remember that. Uh, there were sondachcleer you had sonndachcleer and you had to be smart and you and and there was a little bit of a a kind of statement that went with it that goes. Uh, we do this because, uh, you know, we're going to meet the Lord. And like if you were going to meet the president, you would wear the appropriate clothes. In other words, the idea was, God is embarrassed by you with the wrong clothes on. Or he's upset with you with the wrong clothes on and he's embarrassed by you with no clothes on. <laughs> so dress up quickly, quickly. Um, Anyway, dressing getting dressed I want to talk a little bit about getting dressed for church later on but I want to start with a moment here which is a moment of recognition and celebration uh about this thing called church and I'm saying that and as I'm saying it I'm I'm looking across over here at the people that I want us to honor first uh because um because these are the most reluctant church planters I've ever come across. They are the people who want to do what God wants them to do, but you mustn't call it church. They, they are the people who have within them the seeds of something that I believe, and I, have, I believe I have a... Prophetic word for you as a church, um, and, um, they, 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 carry the seed of that in them, and, um, that word about seed and trees and a massive influence, uh, of the tree that will be planted is, um, is right on the money. Um, because it's, it's important for us to understand the significance of moments like this. For some months again, as Nigel was saying earlier, we've been looking for a moment, a time when uh, this would be possible for us to, to, to bless and to affirm this as a church being planted in the name of the Lord. Very different church. I'll quickly say, very different, very different. Not church like other people's church. Not church like those other earls do church. But church nonetheless. And I think church that is in the heart of God. Um, I, I had the opportunity because before we went to the state, we got back from the states uh, trip to the states last night, and um, and uh, had the opportunity to see the movie Jesus Revolution. I, I don't know if any of you have seen it. Yeah, it hasn't been released yet properly yet. You can now buy it, I think. Anyway. It was the story of my roots. So it was very, very meaningful for us to watch. And I wept my way through it uh, because it was the story of people I know, people who impacted my life and, um, and people who uh, were part of something that turned the world upside down, Amen. turned the church world upside down. Because in fact, before that, you, I won't give away the, the, any of the storyline, but, it, but the, the Jesus revolution happened among people who didn't have a clue what church was, who were counterculture people. They were rebels without a clue. Uh, they were the hippies. And uh, so they were anti-establishment and everything established was establishment, right? Including church. Including governments, including um, uh, society in general, including even institutions like marriage and uh, ordinary family, and so there was a lot of there's a lot of um, a deconstructionist thinking in their in their minds and hearts, and then they were invited to church by this other hippie called Lonnie Frisbee, and um, But he was, he had the wisdom to go first and visit the pastor and say, I want to bring the hippies to your church, but you're going to need to be, um, to think differently because they are going to mess up your church. They're going to come in there with, you know, dirty feet, um, long hair, uh, wearing weird clothes, smelling like weed. Um, and, um, and and they're going to upset you. And so, anyway, long story short, the, the, God gave to that pastor, Chuck Smith, a, a, a wisdom and something to say, what God is doing in the world is bigger than what I want to do with my church. And it caused a revolution. It caused what was called by Time magazine, the Jesus revolution that that swept the world. Now, that didn't didn't only happen, it didn't start in Costa Mesa, uh, California. Uh, That was just one manifestation of something that God did worldwide. We were part of it in Johannesburg in 1968, um, which was actually two years before what is described in the movie. Um, we, we saw it happen in Cape Town, we saw it happen in Durban and Port Elizabeth. So just in South Africa, there was a massive uh, flow of, of new life among what was the hippie generation, the generation that was sick and tired of institutions, that was sick and tired of religion. And churches were identified with religion Not with relationship with God, but with religion, religious rules. The only difference between the churches was we've got more commandments than you've got. (laughs) Our laws are more comprehensive than yours. Ours don't only talk about how long the hair can be. Our laws tell about what you can do with your hair. (laughs) Our laws say you may not wear, girls may not wear men's clothing. And men's clothing includes uh, shorts, trousers, jeans, and slack suits, and and then this church says, and even (laughs) pantyhose. Anyway, I I won't go into that. That's really not what I'm here to talk about. But I am here to talk about this. There is another Jesus revolution coming. out of that jesus revolution came we are we counted it during some conversations that we had came 68 that we can identify 68 movements of churches came out of just that one that's described in the movie Calvary chapels the vineyards the the um and some weird ones like the children of god and some other things like that that were that were weird and cultish, um, etc. But in amongst all of that, the weeds and the tares uh, grew up together. The, the, the wheat and the tares grew up together. And, uh, and a mighty, mighty harvest happened right across the world. It's harvest time again. Amen. And, and what that's going to take is thinking about church that doesn't look like church thinking about church that doesn't jump through the hoops and satisfy anybody out there, but satisfies what God has put in your hearts to do. And and so my purpose here right at the beginning is to honor this church for coming into being and to recognize it. How many of you have been puzzled sometimes reading the New Testament where it says, Um, We were born of God, number one, but we were also adopted. Mm. Have you read about adoption in the New Testament? The adoption as sons. God is, the, the whole world is groaning in travail, waiting for our adoption as sons. And daughters, by the way. Daughters are included. It's a generic term. God is uh, The world is waiting for that. What does it mean? It is taking a, a little bit of a model from Greek culture. And Greek culture of the day, in fact Roman culture as well, uh, did this. It's similar to what we do when uh, your child reaches 21. When a child reaches 21, a person reaches 21 years of age, they have a coming of age party. They talk about presenting them with the keys of the door. They have the key of the door. They even have the key of the car sometimes. Uh, they, uh, they have a legal right to either vote or, or drink. Um, they, 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 they adulthood is conferred upon them. Responsibility goes with adulthood. Freedom goes with adulthood. Um... The the expectation that they are now going to be a productive unit in this thing called the human race uh, goes goes with it. They are no longer dependent; they're independent and therefore have something to offer. And that's what God is talking about. So what the Greeks used to do is they would take their sons or daughters, sons. In certain aspects of Greek culture, because daughters were not really considered a legal person. Sorry. (laughs) My Greeks did some very bad things. Anyway, but they would bring the son into the forum, into the town hall, into the place where the elders gathered. And the father would say, This is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased, and I confer upon him everything that I have experienced, everything that I have learned, everything that I have gathered, gained, profited by in the world. And he has a legal right to whatever he does going forward, he can do in my name as well. He carries my authority. So think Jesus at his baptism. That's the adoption of Jesus as the son. Yeah. Think the person who comes to the place of uh, being baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, you will receive authority, you will receive dynamis and also exousia when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And when that happens, you can go and be a witness unto me. What you do, you now do on my behalf. And what people see when they see you is they see me. Be, be afraid. Be very afraid when you think about that. You know, the church, one of the things the church has often done, especially the evangelical wing of the church, they go, they say this, they say, don't look at us, look at Jesus. And Jesus is going, don't look at me, look at them. You want to know what I'm like? Look at them. If they love each other, you'll know that's what I do. I make people love each other. If they are united, you will know that the Father sent me. And vice versa, guys. So we mustn't be hard on unbelievers for being unbelievers. Because what are they, what's the portrait of Jesus that they're seeing? What is attractive about that? Those hippies came to a church door and people said, no, 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 you can't come in here with bare feet. They're going to mess up the carpet. The new carpet. The new carpet. We just paid $12,000 for that carpet. They're going to mess it up. So you know what Chuck Smith did? He set up a basin and he personally washed the feet of every hippie that came to the church the next week. And the revival began. So, that's church with a difference, anyway, this church has been held in the heart of a mother and a father a father and a mother, mother and a father for some years. they didn't even realize it they they were they were trying to deny it. It's like you know when people get married and You say to them, now you can have a baby. And they say, no, 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 no. We don't want to have a baby. Not yet. Not yet. We don't want to have a baby. We've seen babies. And there's too much happening in our lives for us to want to have babies. We're having too much fun to have babies. We know babies equals no more fun. And so they were doing that. They were doing that kind of. If I said church planting to them, they would go. But actually something more was going on. It was that God was busy finishing off the plan. He was busy refining. He was just hybridizing the seed a little bit more. He was getting it ready. Because the seed was in you guys. And the seed... Carries within it its own purpose. You see, purpose is something that your that is designed into you, that is built into you, that is created into you, and that then drives you toward its outcome. Purpose is is something that is carried in seed and manifest in outcome. And so, I want to say. To you, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for following. Because what you see here is the sapling of the tree that will change the city. And will change the profile of the church in the city. So this is this is this is my word to you. I believe that you are you are um, you are seeding something that is that is radically different, but similar enough that it can sneak up on the church, so that they say, "Yeah, it's one of us. It's one of us, but it's a little weird. Stay weird." Stay weird, because your weirdness is your gift. Your weirdness is your prophecy. Your weirdness is the part of the of the of the puzzle that you are supposed to put in place. You know, when we used to when we used to go on family holidays at Christmas time, one of the things we always did was somebody bought a 10,000, whatever piece puzzle. And then we would all put it on the table, and and my first responsibility every time when we started doing it was to steal a piece of the puzzle, and I would keep it, I would hide it, I would hide it in my in my drawer, and uh, yeah, and then they would all work, and I would sometimes supervise, and I'd some look again, partly because I'm colorblind. And so when they got, like, sky and then walls and this and that. Clouds. give me, me a favor. <laughs> and, and then they want me to put a thing in. a. Anyway, so I just, um, I just said, let them do the hard work. And then the last piece. <laughs> the people are going, we're nearly done here. And I say, gee, why? But what's wrong? Why is this one piece missing? Oh, we don't know, we don't know where it is. Not in not in the box, not under the table. And then I would triumphantly <laughs> bring out the last piece. And maybe that's your role here, guys. There's a piece of the puzzle that of the church that is the body of Christ that looks like Jesus, but there's a just a little piece of the left nostril that's not in the pic in the thing yet. And it's your job. It's your job to bring that, to be you. Be you. Here's a word of the Lord for you. Be yourselves. Everyone else is taken. And that, by the way, is going to be what we'll say to Jess as well. But I want to... I want. Will you guys stand? I want this to be a moment when we... And you guys are now representing... The, uh, the body of Christ, as we say this, we say, we honor, we, first we recognize, first we recognize, we recognize the fact that you, Nigel, are a father in the body of Christ. You spoke about it, but it's in you as much as it's in me. You, Debbie, are a mother in Israel, a mother in the body of Christ. And the mothers, and again, we have to apologize to women because we have so downplayed, ignored, and in fact been downright rejecting of the women who, without whom the church would not exist. In the same way that family would not exist without the women. And so we recognize you as a mother. But you're not just a mother in the wider body of Christ, which you have, you've earned the stripes for that as well. But you are a mother and a father in this house. And you're going to need all of the things that you needed to be a mother and a father in your family. <laughs> you know what that took. You know, like late nights, lots of tears, prayer, a lot of prayer, wisdom, uh, endurance perseverance, physical energy, mental energy, emotional energy, uh, way be above and beyond the call of ordinary people. And, and here it is. You have it. You have it. But we're going to confer it on you again as we affirm you today. So guys, stretch out your hands toward them as we honor them as mother and father in this house. Mother and father in their own right, in the city, taking their place among the leaders of the body of Christ in Cape Town and in South Africa. And we say over you in the name of Jesus, we honour you, we recognise who you are, and we thank God for you. Thank you, God, for making these guys In the unique ways that you did. Thank you for the seed that they have carried, sometimes in Mm -hmm. secret, very often without even understanding it themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Lord, sometimes even reluctantly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And as it has germinated and as it has begun to spring forth, and they've gone, Is this you, Lord? Because it's it's feeling uncomfortable. And he goes, yes, it's always uncomfortable to break the seed with with the roots. To break the seed with the first stems. It's uncomfortable. And yet I have a plan and a purpose. And you will see it. And when you see it, you will rejoice. And when you see it, many will rejoice. Because there will be a tree without which the forest would have been incomplete. There will be a tree without which people would not have been able to find the shade they need or the fruit of which they wanted to eat. So in the name of Jesus, we bless the seed and we bless its outcome. Hey. <laughs> And Debbie, I I just want to bless you with the laughter of Sarah. Because it's a laughter that goes, I believe, but Lord, my goodness me. Do you realize what that's going to take? Do you realize what you're asking of me? And so it was a laugh that was going, you must be joking. And yet it didn't ever refuse to cooperate <clears throat> with the promise of God. <laughs> oh, Lord God. Oh, Lord God. A heart, a heart of mercy and a heart that marries mercy with the, the presence, the provision of God with the supernatural answer of God to a heart that says, I, I believe, help my unbelief. Oh, Lord. And so Father in Jesus name I really pray for a strengthening of Debbie's voice. I pray Lord for that voice to be confident and bold and again Lord we we place behind her all of the authority of everything that you have ever given us. I say over both of you guys everything that God has ever blessed me with in gifts in authority in, 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 in inspiration and in the in the power of leadership, I confer easily, generously, wholeheartedly on you. And I say, receive it. Be it, I impart over you. Whoa, 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 whoa. 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 <laughs> In, the name, In wow. the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Whoa! In the name of the Father you, and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Holy Amen. Spirit. But having said that to them, <coughs> I now have to say to you what I think the Lord wants to say to you about all of this. You know, <laughs> church, one of the, thing, the ways in which church has been institutionalized has been church as consumerism, church as, a, church as theater. Church is something, you go, you pay your admission fee, you go in, you sit down, you watch, you applaud, and then you leave. Or you go, you pick what is what you like, you leave the stuff that you don't like, because I don't do kale. <laughs> <laughs> and you go home. You hang out with the people you like, You listen to the sermons you like. You even hope that they tell you beforehand who's preaching so that you can stay at home that day. (laughs) You say, well, I'm not sure, I mean, who's leading worship? Because I'm not, you know, I don't get anything out of it when they worship, when they lead worship. So, So all of that is the thing that God is in the business of breaking right now. He's over. He's he's really over our entitled souls. He's really over it. Uh, uh, so there's a new revolution. That's not only the Jesus revolution, which is going to be evangelistic, that is going to penetrate to places that we will we don't even know exist at this point. But it is also um, ecclesiastical, which means that people will begin to understand the whole intention of God in church. In fact, the whole intention of God in giving us his words. Okay, the words of God were these. Here's how you can sum up 669 pages of scripture. Love the Lord with all your heart and mind and soul and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's what Jesus said. I'm, I'm not, this is not original. I'm <laughs> quoting. He said, this sums up the entire law and the prophets. The old, what we call the Old Testament. And the New Testament was just a further unpacking of that because Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law And not only did he fulfill it, but he changed its nature so that now it is no longer something that you read so that you can understand, so that you can do. Now it is something that is in you and it is written on your heart so that you want to and therefore you do. And if the want to isn't there, you haven't been born again yet. If you are still desiring sin and you are claiming to be born again you haven't been born again yet. In the same way that when when a pig and a chicken no, sorry a pig and a sheep fall into a ditch they have very different reactions a, a, a mud filled ditch the pig goes, oh yes, I've been waiting for this moment. And he rolls around and he snorts and he does other unhygienic things. And he <laughs> and the sheep opens his mouth and meh, meh, and is scrambling and struggling to get out. Yeah. Why? Because it's the nature of the pig to roll in the mud and it's the nature of the sheep to stay clean when the law is written on your hearts, you want to obey. You don't do what you, what you should, must, ought to. You do what you want. As the one, one of the uh, early church fathers said, love God and do what you will. Because he who loves God will not easily love the things that God hates. So... Keep keep that picture in mind as we do this. Uh, um, Some of you have heard this, but I I want to read a section of it again. It's from my go at translating uh, uh, Matthew chapter 5, and I just want to read a few portions of it, which understands the law, understands the nature of the new covenant in this way, that the new covenant was an act of God That changes you from the inside, and Jesus is explaining in the Sermon on the Mount how you're going to be changed. Therefore, we should not. You you, you see, the Greek language is very helpful because it doesn't always indicate the um, the the, the, um, uh, declension. Is it declension of a verb? It um, it puts it in the form of it's the context that has to explain that to you. So, in other words, we have different voices of verbs, right? Imperative, uh, genitive, and uh, indicative. So, all all of the verbs in the in the New Testament can be read as indicative, not imperative. So, when it says "you must," What it actually should read is, you will. Let me read it as I uh, did this. So Jesus went up on the hill and after he sat down, his disciples came to them and he began to teach them, saying, now listen up. This is how immigration into my kingdom is going to change you and your culture. Your blessedness, your happiness will be based not on having things, but on being destitute. Poor in spirit, dependent on grace, knowing this is what will open the kingdom from heaven to you. If you understand, you don't stand a chance. You can't impress God with your spiritual gymnastics. He's going, yeah, don't worry. I've seen some great Olympics of gymnastics here by angels. And when you see my boy doing that stuff, I've seen the best. You can't impress me. Your mourning will be turned to dancing. Your laughter will heal your sadness. Your humility will be rewarded with huge influence. You'll inherit the earth. You will find joy in constant hunger and thirst for doing the right thing. Living as a truly good person, which will often be satisfied along the way. You will be a constant giver and receiver of mercy. Receiving and showing my love. And in exchange for singleness of heart, you will constantly, increasingly experience and finally see God. You will find joy in being artists of peace. And when people see your work, they'll say, you paint just like your dad. Even persecution for righteous behavior won't dim your joy because you'll know Our side wins at the end. So don't stress when people insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be extremely glad because your reward in heaven is great and you're in great company. Just check all the prophets that came before you. You're going to flavor the world with divine spice. So stay spicy. Always be amazing. Live on the edge. Don't let the current culture rob you of flavor and trample you under its feet. You're going to light up the world, so shine. Stand up where you can be seen. Bloom where you're planted. People will see your good actions and be amazed at the handiwork of your Father in heaven, realizing only He could have produced a life like that. I tell you, this is going to be a new way of living. By a new set of standards. That will make religious people jealous. They will qualify, this will qualify you for all the benefits of the kingdom from heaven. You will live way beyond the narrow set of rules set by religious people. You will live not by less than, but more than those rules. Not merely abstaining from evil, but doing good. You know how you learn to be good in actions? Like, don't murder, don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't covet things that belong to others. Well, I'm saying something more than that. Your heart attitudes are going to change. So you won't even be able to insult or hold grudges. You won't be easy come, easy go when it comes to marriage. You will hold it in the highest esteem. You will exchange violent reactions by word or deed for gentleness and grace forgiveness and peaceability you will consider lending or uh, you will consider lending or being ripped off as a gift not insisting on rights but seeking to serve with a soldier friend enemy or needy person this is the transformation that happened to you when you came to jesus And the people that you recognize, even here within the congregation, within the group. By the way, congregation is a biblical word. It just means a gathered group under the authority of Jesus. Two or three gathered together under my name. And so don't worry about when we use words like church or, you know, that Nigel starts to twitch at But rather, what you see, there are people that stand out because they do this stuff that we've just talked about. There are people who live this stuff. And then we, in the old days, they used to call them saints. You know, Mother Teresa, you, let's make her a saint because nobody does that. Nobody lives like that. Nobody lives like that. She's got to be an alien. She's a special category of being called a saint. And then the New Testament goes and says, you're all saints. Mm. It it, it, it says, says, um, you know, someone who stays up late and cares for and prays. People pray through the night. People show kindness. People wash the feet of strangers. People wash the unwashed, of Calcutta. And they do it because this is, that's what God has put in all of us to do. So, this is not the job of the special. We, we're going to now, in a moment, honor and do this thing called ordain. Yes. Ordaining a person doesn't make them something. Ordaining recognizes what they are. The word ordain in the New Testament, means to approve by the putting forth of a hand. To approve. In other words, to say yes. You're right, God. You've done good here. This is a good one. You've done a good one. And so when we bless that, we're just simply saying we're agreeing with God. And, and of course, by the way, as the cream on top, she gets more of it by the laying on of hands. So, so the approving does add to it. But I'm, what, what I want to to emphasize here is that I know the philosophy of ministry of this church says everyone gets to play. Yes. There are no reserves on the bench. There are no spectators in the stands. This is a Very important game. This is practice, this part that we're doing now. This is just practice. And the real game starts when we leave, right? That's when we go and be Jesus. That's when we go and live this life. And by the way, none of us can live it. None of us can live it. The only person that's ever succeeded at living the Christian life is Jesus. And he's still the only one. And so that's why Paul says, the life that I live, I don't live it, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've learned that phrase in my relationship with God. I've learned it about lots of things. I've learned it when I've said, I don't have enough love for these idiot people. (laughs) And the Lord says, don't worry, I've got enough love for both of us. Take some of mine. I don't have enough Mercy. I don't have enough faith. And he goes, it's okay. Take some of mine. Just get in tune with me. Let me pull. And you are yoked together with me. And, we'll, and you look back and say, look at that incredible plow line that I plowed. <laughs> we hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit NigelDebbie.org.